0: Good morning, Village Church. Normally I would say East after that, but I'm just saying Village Church generally now. Uh, Village Church of Bartlett, Village Church East, it is good to see you all here this morning. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor at Village Church East, which is in Carroll Street. Many of you have been praying for us uh, that we would um, find a building. Thank you for those prayers. Please keep them up. We, uh, We have outgrown our current facility just because of the necessities of, of what's needed for ministry for us each Sunday, and so we're, we're looking for a place, and uh, keep having some doors open, but they quickly shut, so uh, so God needs a little boost, so if you could pray, no, just kidding, I just, I, just kidding, uh, if you could pray and just ask that, uh, that we would be aware of where his leading would take us, and provide what we need just at the right time. Michael is not here this morning and uh, I thought maybe we would just take a moment, uh, some of you, I, maybe all of you, some of you probably have gotten the news that uh, uh, they're dealing with some COVID situations at the house. Michael, as far as we know, is, is fine, but uh, I'd just like to just take a moment and pray for the family um, and all of those. I know every single one of us at this point has folks that are, are influenced in one way or another through this uh, pandemic that we still are in, two weeks to flatten the curve, To Years, um, so let's just uh, let's take a moment and pray, and just ask God's blessing on each of these families, if you would mind this morning. Father God, we are grateful for uh, again this moment to look into Your Word, and we just want to uh, take a moment, take advantage of this this amazing tool, this this weapon we have called prayer, where it invites uh, You and the power of of um, of the supernatural to enter into our world and affect physical things. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, just watch over the fueling family, provide for them, protect them. Um, I pray that you would just help them to get through this with uh, as little little residue as possible. And for all of those who are uh, influenced in one way or another by this pandemic, Father, that are even represented here or online this morning, uh, that you would enter into our world and bring peace and joy and hope in a world that is more and more fearful, it seems like, every day. Help us to remember the conquerors we are because of you and that nothing takes you by surprise, and so may you increase our faith through this time and help us to be those who not only speak about the gospel, but live it out in our lives, even when it's difficult. Um, Provide healing that only you can bring, and Lord, we will give you all of the praise, because we know that all good things come from you. Bless us this time, I pray again, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are continuing our study this morning, as you may or may not know, this is something that we do each uh, Sunday. We we preach the same message on three different campuses. Uh, Right now it's uh, three different churches that get together and do sermon prep. And Michael suggested that we do one Sunday, because this is spiritual warfare, you gotta tap into the armor of God. And so Michael suggested that we do one Sunday on the armor of God. And I stuck up my hand and I said, I think that's a bad idea, because the last time I did a series like this, it took me like a year to get through. But he said, ah, we can do it. So, so we are doing one Sunday on the armor of God. And I, I will have you notice Michael's not here this morning. So I am doing one Sunday on the armor of God. So, what's that? Uh, thank you, Jonathan, yes. <laughs> one voice in a sea of people, thank you. Since we're talking about spiritual warfare, spiritual war, my mind uh, is constantly drawn back to some of the wars, some of the battles that we face or have faced in our world today. And one of the battles that has changed our world forever is the Second World War and the rise of Germany, Nazi Germany. This is, uh, this is a terrifying time in the last century. In 1933, Hitler was made Chancellor of Germany within a month uh, after he was... Um, Made Chancellor of Germany, there was a terror attack inside of Germany, and so what Hitler decided to do was he shut down everything. He he incorporated some things that weren't there before, in their effort to provide safety to the German people, they actually birthed another branch of the police called stormtroopers. Some of you are aware of this, not the Star Wars stormtroopers, not the ones that always can't shoot straight, but these were uh, these were the the real stormtroopers. That were that were that were doing terrible, atrocious things in the country of Germany. Within three months, they began public book burnings. Within six months, communications were prohibited, Uh, free communications was prohibited, and right after that, they established a one-party rule. Nazi Germany was now Nazi Germany. In less than five years after that, Hitler would begin his march beyond the borders of Germany into Europe, and he began taking this Uh, taking Europe by storm. Europeans put up a good fight for a while, but eventually they ran out of ammunitions and all of their reservoirs, and they, they didn't have anything to fight with, and so by the end, as Germany began ramping up its ability and its strength and its power in weaponry, the people of Europe began to have nothing, so they ended up fighting with pitchforks and rocks. And before long, you can imagine, that would not last very long. Hitler had them outgunned, outmanned, outresourced. Hitler had a technology that they didn't have and they were no match for him. And as the complete takeover progressed, Hitler would then march into all of Europe and eventually people would have nothing to fight with. History records this as one of the most horrific times in uh, some of our lifetimes. And uh, and how he took over this. Uh, th- this actually is a picture of uh, the island of Cyprus where he he did atrocious things. Um, just uh, they put up a fight for a while and they paid for it, and hundreds and hundreds of people died. Listen, Christians are in a war today. We may not know it. There's no explosions and gunfire that goes on too much, unless you're in downtown Chicago where you should wear your bulletproof vest. But um, you know or around the world where there is persecution that's happening, but pretty much for most of us, we think to ourselves like like the battle is elsewhere and because we're not faced with it every day. There's no explosions, there's no gunfire. 1 Peter 5, 8 reminds us, however, it's written to us and it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a, what church, like a what? Not like a little kitty. Not like somebody that you wanna, you know, just a, a little animal that you wanna, you bond a pet. You come to face with a face with a lion is one thing, but a roaring lion is probably a hungry lion. Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to what, church? You notice that it says someone to devour? Sometimes I think that Satan works better on a, like a, a big plane. He's not looking for necessarily huge swaths of the economy. He's looking for someone. The war goes on all around us. Everyone you know is on the battlefield, and Satan is targeting one at a time. Most people don't know that they're in this, this battle. They deal with things, inner things, that they can kind of grab a hold of. Self-worth, self-esteem, those are the greatest enemies. we can. Find. Some churches, that's, that's what they speak about as our greatest enemy, but I want you to know that Jesus said that your greatest enemy is the devil and his cohorts. And when you talk about the demonic war, People have a tendency to kind of back away from that. Mostly, it just scares people to death. It's something we can't handle. We don't see. We can't really comprehend. Yet Jesus says this, enemy schemes against individuals daily. Jesus talked about, talked to, warned against, and, and spoke regularly with the devil. It's always kind of interesting to me, people people will say, I don't know if the devil really exists. I say, well, what do you think of Jesus? Did he really exist? Yeah. Do you think he was a good person? Yeah. Do you think he was a good teacher? Yeah. Well, you need to know, Jesus can't possibly be a good teacher because if the devil doesn't exist, Jesus is insane because he thinks he's talking to the devil regularly. Jesus thought the devil was real. In fact, Satan is talked about or talked to almost 60 times in the Bible. I still remember the occasion in Scripture that kind of sends shivers through my spine. It was the occasion where Peter and Jesus were talking. Jesus comes up to Peter and he says, <clears throat> you know, Peter, I going to pull you aside over here. I just wanna have a conversation with you. Listen, so last night I was talking to Satan about you. Really? Yeah, how did... How, how did that? Satan knows me. Oh yeah, we had a conversation about you, and here's the deal: He's got his eye on you. He wants you. How would you feel if Jesus said that to you? I had a conversation with Satan last night, and uh, he kind of wants you. Here's how it goes: Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan not just talked about you, but demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. You know how you sift wheat, and you're just toss it around? How would you like to be this, the devil's play toy? That's what Jesus talked about, Peter. That's how Jesus thought about the devil. How would you like to know that the devil knows your name? Satan is very real. He is an individual and he schemes about and he schemes, uh, uh, schemes toward us, against us on a daily basis. There is a dark opposition that fights against us regularly. I wonder before this series, like how many of us actually thought that there's this warfare that's going on that we don't see? Consider this. If you are a soldier on a battlefield and you don't know there's a battle going on, how dangerous are you to the enemy? You're what we like to call a speed bump, right? But if you're aware of the battle, if you're aware that there's a battle going on, wouldn't you likely look for the most impressive weaponry fighting tools that you can find? If you know you're out there and you need weapons, wouldn't you look for, I mean, let's say there's a pile over here of sticks and pitchforks and rocks, and a pile over here of uh, rocket-propelled grenades and flamethrowers. Which one would you choose? Yeah, all right, I'll take the pitchforks. No, you'd go over to this one over here. Why? Because you want the most impressive armor, the most impressive weaponry that you can get because you know you're in a battle. Here's the challenge. Church, I don't know if we really know we're in a battle. I don't know if we buy it. And yet Jesus is talking to the devil about people that are hanging out with him on a regular basis. Here's the good news. God has given the followers of Jesus Christ every tool they need to fight. You have been given everything you need to not just fight, not just hold ground, but to overcome. In fact, the Bible says to be more than conquerors. I don't know what it means to be more than a conqueror. I'm just happy to be a conqueror, right? I am a conqueror. No, the Bible says you have the ability to be more than a conqueror because God has equipped you properly for this battle to fight in this battle, to take ground for God, and to overcome anything that is thrown against you. So we pick up in Ephesians 6. We're gonna do the whole armor of God in 20 minutes or less, maybe 40. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Ephesians 6, if you're using your Bibles or your your tablets or whatever you're using, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, God says to us, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Don't you love that? Don't you love the fact that God doesn't say, finally, finally, Bucker up, buttercup, because you're on a battlefield. God says, be strong, where, church? Strong in the Lord, and in the power of? It's not you. It's in the power of his might. God has given you everything you need to succeed, and here's what it is, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, again, we're reminded, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You're on a battlefield, but there's armor in this pile. All you have to do is put it on. Armor is ready for you. Like the fruit of the Spirit. When we did our series on the fruit of the Spirit, it's like, Boy, I'd love to be more loving. I'd love to be more, what is that? Love, joy, peace. I'd love to be more joyful. I'd love to be yeah, patient. I'd I'd love to be more of that. Can I be more of that? Listen, when you accept Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, which means you get what he has. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, self-control is there. All you have to do is put it in action. We're our greatest enemy because we get in the way of that coming out. When in reality, we have it, we just need to, the armor of God is the same thing. Put it on. It's there, it's his armor, it's not yours. He has made it, it's pretty good, better than a flamethrower. Put it on. Here's the armor. You have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like this guy more than Michael. (laughs) We gotta talk about each one of these and then we'll be done, all right? Listen, you don't need more salvation, right? You got as much salvation as you need. you know Christ is your Savior, you get hit by a truck, you're gonna go to see Jesus. You don't need more salvation. You don't need more righteousness. You got all you need. You don't need more God. The gospel doesn't need to be more powerful. The gospel is what it is. You gotta put it on. Put it on, put it on. Put on is a decision you must make. The armor is available. The question is, do we think we need it? When we talked about what we were gonna name this, this title for this message today, I thought a good title would have been, for goodness sakes, put your clothes on. That's a good title. Because it's there. Don't go onto the battlefield without your armor. It's there. And it's not your armor It's his armor. You might be able to stand the schemes, stand against the schemes and the traps. He will set them for you left and right, but you don't have to fall for it. Not if you've got your armor on. Our war is not against flesh and blood. This is a hard one for us because every time we get attacked, we see flesh and blood. But in reality, we need to see beyond that. What is moving this flesh and blood, this talking head on the TV, these, these friends and neighbors that are talking about stuff that is just like, that doesn't make any sense. What is moving them to adopt those opinions, those schemes, those traps, and then to propagate them to you like everybody believes this? It's not, what, it's not who they are, it's what's, what's behind that. What's behind them? Therefore, verse 13 says, since this is the battle... Therefore, take up, here you have it again, put it on, take it up, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. I hate that the evil day word is in there, don't you? There's there's coming days that are more evil than others. There's an evil day, you may feel like you're in it, it may not have hit you yet, but there's evil days. And it's on these days, you gotta make sure you got your armor on. Withstand is what God calls us to do with the armor. Follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus are living representations to Satan of the ground he has lost. Let me tell you one more time. Followers of Jesus are living representations to Satan of the ground he has lost. He does not like to lose ground. He is called the prince of the power of the air. He is called the ruler of this present world. He does not like to lose space. When you take space for Jesus, you represent a threat to him because you're taking space away from him. Space he can't control. Space you interject the gospel into. And so God tells us stand on the ground that God has redeemed and don't give anything back. Verse 14, you have it again. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Now why is truth a belt? I always ask these questions, and we're gonna go through the whole thing. I'm gonna say this every single time. Why is truth labeled as a belt? Well, in these days, you wore a tunic under your clothes, and you would have to bring in that tunic with a belt inside so that it doesn't like flow out when you least expect it. Now, when you're wearing armor, you definitely don't want that happening. Plus, the belt operated two ways. It, hel- it cinched in everything so that it doesn't like, sneak out of the holes, but number two, everything else hooked to it. Your armor hooked to the belt. So when, if your belt is tight and secure, not only does it keep your pants up, but it also keeps the armor stable. In this case, I think the belt is labeled truth because we need to have truth as the core part of who we are. If we say that we follow Jesus Christ, Is that the truth? Because if it's the truth, it is the integrity of who we are. We don't look at other things and say, I find my identity in this. I find my identity in that. I find my identity in this thing. We take our cue from God who says, you are image of God, find your identity in me. And when we surrender to Jesus Christ, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, our identity becomes our belt. It's the true part of who we are. We know the reality of what's going on. We know whose we are and we know who we serve. We have taken the blue pill. (laughs) You like that? (laughs) Matrix. We live in the light of who God has called us to be and it becomes the center of everything that we are. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is who we are. No more than I'm ashamed to have this amazing set of hair on my head. Matt. <laughs> Matt, Matt bought a little wig to mock me this morning and I love the wig, Matt, but it's who I am, Matt. Just like that uh, shirt is who you are. What? I bought two. Oh, you bought two. <laughs> We know who we are, it is, the, it, is, it is the core, the center of our beliefs. I think that's why the belt is named truth. And then having put on the breastplate of righteousness, so the question I ask at this point is, why is the breastplate... Righteousness. Why is righteousness designated as the breastplate? I think it's because Satan accuses us daily. And you know how he accuses us? He says, oh, you're a follower of Jesus, but you did this last night. Oh, you're a follower of Jesus, but you let your tongue get a little out of control this week. Oh, you're a follower. See, that's what he does. He attacks us in that way. That's why the breastplate covers our chest area, our hearts, our seat of emotions. When we wear this breastplate, it is not our righteousness. We don't go against Satan and say, yeah, but I'm trying to be a better man. That'll never work. You know what will work? I am not who I once was. I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't wear my righteousness, I wear his righteousness. The truth of the gospel is you don't have to be good. God already, you don't have to impress God. He kind of already knows who you are. What you have to do is you have to replace your flawed righteousness with his true righteousness. I went golfing with a guy not that long ago, a guy that came to our church, and we did, uh, we did nine holes because I didn't want to do 18. It's an easy out if you only do the nine, right? It's not working. Let's call it quits, all right, after nine. So I did nine holes with this guy, and I can remember our drive up there, and he said, He said, I always remember this conversation. He said, Craig, something you should know about me. And I I don't know why he told me this like right before we played golf. Maybe he was looking to cheat on the golf. I don't know what it was. But anyway, we're driving there and he said, something you should know about me. He said, I'm not very righteous. And I looked at him and said, good, because I'm not either. (laughs) And he was shocked. But this is the point. We don't wear our righteousness. We wear the righteousness of God, the breastplate that covers who we are. It fends off the attacks of the evil one because if we were wearing our own righteousness, we wouldn't stand up that long. It's only a matter of time before we fail. We're not righteous enough, we're not holy enough. Philippians 3, 9 says this, that I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that's obeying all the good stuff, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You don't have to strive for your own righteousness, church. You're wearing his. 15, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. My question at this point is, why are feet the, right, the, the gospel of peace? Why is that attached to the feet? I think because I, I'm not a soldier, but I've seen a lot of soldier movies. So I figure I'm a pretty good expert on this, and every soldier movie that I've seen, the, the, the soldiers always say, for goodness sakes, take care of your feet. Because if you don't take care of your feet, you're not gonna be able to stand against the enemy. You're gonna be literally a sitting duck. So take care of your feet. I think because uh, uh, the reason why the gospel prepares our feet is because the gospel clothes and protects These feet, as they take the gospel of peace into a world that's ruled by fear. Because what do feet do when they get scared? They run. But what do feet do when they're they're clad with the gospel of peace? They walk into danger. We're walking into conversations daily so that we can share the gospel of peace in every Circumstance. Armored sandals were meant to walk into, armored, uh, into enemy territory. Joshua, I love the story of Joshua. God promised Joshua, he said, Joshua, wherever your feet walk in the promised land, that's yours. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I got that promise from God, are you serious? Like anything I feet, my feet touch, that's my property? God said, yeah, anything. Wherever you walk, Joshua, that's yours. So I, I'd be walking constantly, like day and night. I'll take this and I'll take this and I'll take this. We introduce the peace of God into the chaos of life. Your feet take you into places and relationships and conversations that are full of fear and darkness and pain. We use our feet to take the gospel of peace into every one of those circumstances. We bring hope like that song we sang. We bring hope to a world that's hopeless. We carry the gospel of peace to those still in rebellion against God because that's who we were. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And my question at this point is, why is faith attached to the shield? Why are these two together? And I think this is is why. Satan will do whatever he can to coax you off of the battlefield. His goal is to get you to think you can't take it. His goal is to think that God's not power. See, Satan doesn't want to be God. He wants to be like God. He wants to get you to believe he has the same power, the same, same there's nobody a greater than God. So Satan just wants you to believe he's just another God. He coaxes us off the battlefield by reminding us, of by, by, by playing with our emotions and getting us to, to doubt our faith in the one true God. He reminds us of our past. He lies to us about our future. He lies about what we know God said and and the promises that we can rely on. He tries to make us think we're unable to take him on. Do you remember a guy named William Tyndale? You ever heard this guy before? William Tyndale was one of the reformers, uh, one of my favorite reformers. He was a reformer that actually translated the Bible into English. His Bible, the Tyndale Bible, was actually the first that was a direct translation out of the Greek and the Hebrew. Also, it was the first, cranked off on the printing press. William Tyndale was an amazing reformer who believed that every person should be able to read and understand God's word, but the Catholic Church didn't like that so much. They were selling a Bible that was 1,500 years old in a language nobody understood anymore. They could read it, they just couldn't understand it. So William Tyndale, under the belief that every person should have a Bible, translated the Bible against the law of the land and against the Roman Catholic Church. And so he was arrested. William Tyndale said once that fear was one of his greatest temptations. (laughs) You wouldn't expect that from a reformer, right? These guys are like, bold, bulls. He said fear was one of his greatest temptations and he was constantly tempted to flee the battlefield out of fear. So in 1536, After he was arrested, he was sentenced to be burned at the stake for what he had done, for translating the Bible into English, unless he would recant. The Catholic Church, as they did with Tyndale, they also did with Luther. They believed that only the Catholic Church should be in charge of the telling and the reading of God's word. But Tyndale was strong in his faith. As fearful as he was that his faith would crumble, he was strong in his faith, and his, and his faith remained strong. And when the authorities of the Catholic Church finally literally get their hands around his neck, the irony is they feared Tyndale so much they couldn't wait to burn him, they strangled him alive. And in his efforts to fight against the fear and to lift up his shield of faith while these darts are being thrown at him from the spiritual realm, Tyndale prayed this prayer, Lord God, open the king of England's eyes, and three years later, three years later, his prayer was answered. Tyndale's Bible became the main source of every living translation of the Bible from that day forward, including the King James Version. Why is faith our shield? Because Satan will throw onslaughts against us, these darts that cause us to doubt or to run because of fear. The faith that we have is our shield against the onslaughts that Satan would throw against us. Jesus, (laughs) Jesus is our shield because our faith is not in our ability. Our faith is in who he is. Jesus stands between us and Satan's arrows and gives us the power to live by faith and for his kingdom on the ground of the evil one. Verse 17. And then take the helmet of salvation. Now, my question at this point is why is the helmet attached to salvation? I think because of this. I think because Satan tries to deceive us. And where are we deceived, church? In our minds. So what do we run to? We run to our salvation. We run to the fact that we are born again, blood-bought sons and daughters of the living God. We run back to that, and that protects our minds from the doubt that would creep in. The helmet protects our, our thoughts and our doubts. In the middle of dark oppression, Romans 12, 2 says this, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what, Church. Renew your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You had no idea before you became saved. You have no idea before you accepted Christ's salvation. But now that you have the salvation, wear it as a helmet so doubts and fear, and fear doesn't come in. But you know the truth and you run to it. Keep your head in the game, in other words. And the next one is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. My question at this point is, I know, why is the sword the word of God. This actually is a weapon of great offensive. Now, again, I haven't been in the military, but I have seen wonderful military movies, and apparently, you can use a lot of things as an offensive weapon. You can use your helmet, you can use your body armor, you can use your shield in pretty crazy ways, right? You can, but the sword is created to be the weapon of, of offense. A formidable soldier is one who knows how to use their weapon. Let me say it one more time, church. A formidable adversary is one who knows how to use their weapon. They live by it. They know when they pull it out, they use it. They know how to use it. And for us, I think the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is given to us because This is our offensive weapon. You should know how to use it. Look in the book of Psalms 119 verse 11. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not what, church? (laughs) Know how to use your weapon. Put enough in here. Put enough in here that it, it bleeds out of you on a regular basis. I heard one pastor say, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Whenever you find a weak follower of Jesus, you will find a person who does not know how to use the word of God properly, or abuses God's word to make it say what they want it to say. And there's plenty of those. It's a job of the Spirit of God to remind us of God's truth so that we can use it in times of dark opposition. It's called armor for a reason. God has given us everything we need in order to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because there are many believers who have their armor available, but they don't put it on. Listen, Satan's mission is to get you to do one of two things. One, stay on his side, or two, be useless on the other side. And the way that you can do that is not knowing how to use your armor properly. He's always looking for rebels to join his cause. And and, and the way that he'll do it is so subtle, he'll always come to you with the same question. Is that what God really said? Are you sure that's what God... That was this whole thing from the Garden of Eden. He hasn't come up with a new playbook. It's as old as like the beginning of time. When Eve was at, at the tree, Satan came to her and said, did God really say that? And Eve went, I wonder if he did. I'm second guessing myself now. He'll do the same thing now. Because he'll come at you and he'll, he'll, he and his minions will come at you and they'll give you a philosophy, a, a mantra to live by. And if you don't know the word of God, you're going to go, that sounds right. That sounds good. And he will dress it up to make you feel like you're the best person in the world. But at the core of it is a rotten philosophy that will eat your soul. If you don't know how to use a sword, you're kind of a sitting duck. He will use rulers, authority figures, influential personalities, social media, the airwaves, all that he can in this world to get anything through that armor that you do or do not put on. And if you've decided to follow Jesus, listen, you are his greatest threat. You are his greatest threat. Little old me, yeah, you. You've taken ground from him. He doesn't like that. Like we may think that you know, he's, he's after the big wigs, right? He's after these, these big people over here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have taken ground he declared his own. That's not good. He wants it back. Unsheath your sword and use it like your life depends on it. Luke six forty seven Jesus said the same thing, only he said it a little better than me. Here's what he said. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when a flood rose and the streams broke against that house and they could not shake it because that house was well built. You've heard the words of God? Believe them. Use them. They're your weapon against the enemy. I only have a couple of so what's for you. Number one. The soldier's mission is to take and hold ground for the Lord. The soldier's mission is to take and hold ground for the Lord. The armor is key in this mission for one reason. God is telling you, you have everything you need. It's his armor, not yours. It's his righteousness, not yours. It's faith in him, not faith in your strength. It's his gospel, not yours. It's all his. You put it on, you will. Listen, you'll not just stand, you'll make a difference. For him. Satan will continue to oppose you. You can count on that. <laughs> That's his job. He'll send his minions after you. And he'll attack you through the people you love. But you have everything you need. To succeed. And Jesus promises that we can find victory. Through, this, through his power. And stop giving up ground. First, uh, 2 Peter 1.3 says it this way. His divine power has granted to us. All things pertaining to life and godliness. Jesus came here. And conquered every foe so that we could have his power at work in our life. Hebrews 4.15 says it this way, Jesus has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and the help uh, help in the time of need. You know what that's saying? Jesus has gone through it all just like you do. Now granted, he he had a little leg up on us. He, after all, was the son of God. I get it. But what we don't get is we don't follow that all the way through. He did succeed because he was the son of God, but he died and rose again so that the power at work with him, in him, is at work within you. You have the power of God inside you to overcome, to be more than overcomers, whatever that means, more than overcomers, through him who loved you. With this armor Jesus is offering, he has given you his power Stop giving up ground. Where did the church ever buy the lie that Jesus will adapt to our foibles? Jesus saved us to change us so that we could start taking ground back for the kingdom of God. Number two, the soldier's attention should never falter. In the basic officer course for tactical planning, again, I've not been in the military, nor will they ever accept me because I'm too old now, but, Apparently in the military, this is one of the acronyms that they use, M-E-T-T-T. And what it means is, know your mission. If you're a soldier, this is how you succeed. Know your mission, know your enemy, know your terrain, know the troops you have available, and know the right timing. Know your mission. I wanna just take a moment and remind us of what our mission is here, church. Our mission is not to pick fights with the devil. I don't wanna do that, any of you wanna do that? That kinda scares me to death. I don't wanna pick fights with the devil. I'd be just as happy if he didn't know me at all. But the fact of the matter is, if I'm taking ground with the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world, he's gonna get to know me. So you are, if you're living out the gospel, if you're bringing the peace of God into conversations, if you're living by faith, if you're you're protected by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if you walk on the battlefield with the armor of God, he's gonna know you're there. But our mission is not to pick fights with the devil, our mission is to build the kingdom of God. And in the process, he's gonna attack. That's why the verbs are specific. The verbs are not fight, the verbs are resist, stand, withstand. The verbs are specific. Our mission is to take and keep ground for Jesus Christ. Our enemy is threatened by our mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boy, is that true today, don't you think? For us at Village Church East, we're looking for a building. It'd be nice to have a building. It would make our lives a lot easier. But if we start thinking our mission is to build a building, we fail. Our mission is not to build a building or get nicer chairs or expand or to grow or any of those things. Our mission is to stand firmly in the gospel and take that gospel in as many different places as we possibly can with our feet. That's our, that's our mission. If you're in a church that starts telling you your mission is anything but pro. propagating the gospel in this world, you're in a church that will eventually fail. A building never threatened the devil. Expansions never threaten the devil. And by the way, if you get confused on this, you should really read the first two chapters of the book of Revelation, because those churches really got it confused. There's seven churches there that really got confused about their mission, and God said to five of them, I'd rather you weren't around. Get back to what you're supposed to be doing. Remember your mission. M E T T T. Know your mission. Know your enemy. We talked about this. Satan, he's a deceiver, the accuser, the liar. We've covered this. Know your terrain. This world is Satan's playground where he spreads his lies with unsuspecting people. That's your terrain. Know your troops. God sends angels and they fight against demons. The devil in this realm, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, authorities, rulers, cosmic powers, and heavenly places. We've studied all this. All that junk births from the demonic realm and it gets spread into our physical world. That's what we fight against. So know your troops. God will send angels. And God gives you armor. Know, Know your... And by the way, look beside you. Would you just take a minute and look beside you? Maybe you haven't looked beside you yet. There's somebody sitting there. Maybe. <clears throat> Maybe they're not, and that might be a personal issue. But if there's somebody sitting there, they're a part of the troops. If they know Christ as their Savior, they're a part of the troops. God gives us all of these things. Know your troops, know the times. Sometimes the battle rages more than others, and you can always perceive. This, through the messages being propagated to the masses, and I gotta tell you, with the internet, as wonderful as it is, it sure does get a lot of weird messages out there pretty fast. We're all born into the battlefield. We just don't know it. God rescued you on purpose. You are not rescued. I, sometimes I, I, God, you rescued me, you saved me. Let's just call it quits, I'll come home right now. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't rescue you to stick you under a rock. He rescues you so he can light you up. In fact, he uses that very illustration. He says, "I have lit you up like a candle." Now we would say a candle. let's use a bonfire. I lit you up like a bonfire. What kind of a person would ever put a big, a big bowl over a light or a, uh, you know, uh, it's dark out here. Let's, let's cover that light up a little bit so we can see less. Makes no sense. When God lights you up, He lights you up on purpose so he can light up the dark. salt and light in a tasteless and dark generation. God made this clear for his own disciples, Jesus Christ, and he makes this clear for us in the world today. Listen, church, the biggest threat is the person who knows the battle and the enemy and their weapons. The biggest threat is the person, follower of Jesus Christ, who knows the enemy, who knows the battle, who knows their weapons. The biggest hindrance Is a person dressed like a soldier with their sword sheathed and no idea they're standing on the battlefield? That's the biggest hindrance. Because they got a lot of opinions. (laughs) But they're not really fighting anything. They kind of would rather fight each other. Our job as Christians is to interject the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ into every relationship and every conversation. God has clothed you to fight and God has clothed you to win. You know the common theme in every horror movie? I haven't watched a lot of horror movies, but the ones that I have seen, there is a common theme. Like some of them would be really wacky and silly and all of those things. But the one common theme is this, people make stupid decisions and they always end up running for their lives. Those are the two common themes. Like stupid decisions, like here comes the bad guy, let's run into the the barn with all the sickles hanging around, you know, that's a good decision. Stupid decisions, and they always end up running. Everyone is led by fear. Not so, soldier of Jesus Christ. We are not led by fear. Perfect peace casts out fear. The word stand for us is listed over and over. When the bad guys come, we stand there. We stand there. We do not give this ground back. This is our ground bought by Jesus Christ, and we are keeping it as stewards of his, and we will give it back to him someday. I think of that like I think about my children like that. I, I, I don't want my children to be good citizens in society. I mean, that would be a plus, don't get me wrong. I want them to be fervent followers of Jesus Christ. I want them to be more devoted to Jesus than I am. Because only then have I protected that ground for God. Let's play a game. My church, the church, Village Church East, we love to play games, right? Yeah, okay, so here's, (laughs) thank you for that right in the front row. Okay, so here's a a game that we're gonna play. When God gives us these commands in in, uh, Ephesians 6, He uses these these words, stand or withstand, over and over and over again. The reason he does is because he wants us to know, you've got the power to do this. You've got the power to stand, stand. Take the ground, stand in it, don't give it back. So resist the devil and he will flee, all that stuff, all right? So here's what we're going to do. Every time you hear the word stand or withstand, you are going to stand, all right? So stand or withstand, you're going to stand. I want you to see how many times this actually occurs. Ready? Ready? Okay, here we go. You're gonna see it up on the screen. Here we go. Ephesians 6, 11 and 14. This is the passage we just did. Here we go. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Very good. Uh, Sit down. Good job. (laughs) For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand... Very good, okay, sit down. In the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Very good, okay, sit down. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Okay, sit down. Do you you get it? Do, Do you think that God is short on words? Like, what's another word for stand? No, he wants you to get it, stand. This is the ground he's given to you. Be a steward of the gospel, and stand in it, and don't give it back. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you get the idea he doesn't condone running a whole lot? Followers of Jesus don't give up ground. We take it back from the father of lies and we keep it for God's glory. Here's the point, Satan will attack you. Followers of Jesus have everything they need. Now stand and resist. Last one, don't fear any dark opposition. (laughs) Uh, 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 One in every group. Okay, the game's over, Dave. Don't fear any dark opposition. Satan will oppose you at every turn, count on it. The reality is Satan cannot take back what God gives to you. Can I say that one more time, church? The reality is this, Satan cannot take back what God gives to you. The only way he's gonna get it back is if you give it to him. So don't give it to him. You, it's yours. Stand, just kidding, stand and don't give it back. Stop buying the lies that you're powerless under this dark opposition. The gates of hell do not prevail against us. It doesn't work that way. It's time to step out of the shadow soldier. Romans 13:12 says this, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Pray it on daily, put it on. Know who you are in Jesus as the belt. Hunger and thirst for righteousness in this world like the chest plate of righteousness. Prepare your feet with the gospel. Introduce the gospel in every space you walk into and don't be ashamed of it. It is a gospel, it's the power of God unto those who are being saved. When your faith is attacked with fiery darts, put your trust in Jesus. He can withstand any attack Satan has Keep your head in the game. Put your helmet on. Swing your sword like a samurai. Learn God's word. And for God's sake, pray like your life depends on it. We're not holding back an evil army with farm tools and rocks, church. We have the armor of God. I'll say that a little better. We're not holding back an evil army with farm tools and rocks. We have the armor of God. the power to resist, the promise that we will overcome, and the reminder that even if we lose our lives in the process, what waits for us is not worthy to be compared to the horrors of this life. What would the world look like if every follower of Jesus Christ stopped living like victims and started living like conquerors? Romans 8.37, in all these things, we are far more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're on the winning side. Take up your armor. It's a battle. Don't give anything back. Take it. It's yours. Father, I'm grateful for our time this morning as we have talked about the power that we have in us because of you, not, not because of us. The shield, the armor that you provide, not our own. The tailor-made armor that you have given us so that we can make a dent in this world for your kingdom. May the church around the world stand up in these dark, in this darkness of this generation May we not, like Paul said, may we not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that changes this world around us. Not good ideas, not political philosophies, not figureheads, not talking heads on the TV. It is Jesus who can change this world. So may he, Lord, live through Change us into the image more of this beloved son who we worship, and may we make a difference in our generation with the gospel we have been given. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As We finish our service each Sunday. We have a time of communion. The reason we do this is because we want to make sure the gospel message is clearly proclaimed. What we've been talking about today, if this is unfamiliar with you, if you're new with us or you are a visitor, checking us out, um, you can learn more about us online. First of all, let me just say that. And if you have any questions about what we've talked about so far, I'm gonna make myself available at back. You can leave me your email. We'll get together, play nine holes, whatever you wanna do. Uh, but we can, uh, I'd love to chat with you or somebody from this church is available, I know, to, to follow up. The reason that we do communion at the end is because we wanna make sure that the gospel is clear, and that is this, Jesus lived a perfect life. He's the only one that could because he was born sinless. Every one of us is born with sin. You don't believe that, you just get to know your neighbor's kids. Everyone's born with sin. You need help to get out of that. And so, Jesus was born without sin, lived a sinless life, Die to death, he didn't deserve to die. Shed that sinless blood, was pierced with those nails. He died on that cross, and three days later, he rose again. All of this was for you and for me. This sheds light on John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what that verse means. And when you take the juice... And when you eat the cracker, there's nothing supernatural that happens. There's no molecular changes that occur. It's just juice and it's just a cracker and it's not a very good one at that. (laughs) But when you eat and you drink, it's a reminder to you of what it took for you to have a right relationship with God. Jesus had to die. Sinless blood had to flow. That blood covers all of our sins when you come to Jesus Christ, that is the relationship you're asking for. So I invite you to partake with us this morning and celebrate that as a truth in your life. And if you have questions about it, ask about it afterwards because your life could be changed today. The way we do it here is, if you didn't pick up a communion cup and a wafer, they're at, in the back over here in the middle, And on that pole over there, that column over there, you can go back and pick one up um, as the band comes up and plays. And hang on to it, don't eat it, Don't, don't drink yet because I'll come up and read a passage of scripture and then we eat and we drink together. And the reason we do that is because you need to know everyone in this room is in the same boat, including me. There's no one wearing their own righteousness here. And so when we eat and we drink together, we declare together that Jesus has redeemed all of us. So I'd encourage you to just hang on to it until I come up. I'll read a passage of scripture and we'll eat and drink together. Before we do any of that, I want to give you just a moment between you and the Lord. Every time we gather together on Sunday mornings like this, God visits us in some way. You know it because that little voice in your head, that little voice in your heart, whatever, however you describe it, is God speaking to you, telling you, you know, this is what I did for you. This This is what you need to do in your life, whatever it is. I love the fact that God visits us at this time, and so this gives us an opportunity to, to talk to him. So in the silence of this time, I'll give you in just a minute, just bow your heads and, and, and talk to God and respond to whatever he's been saying to you this morning. And if it's to become a believer, follow follower of Jesus Christ, for God's sake, don't leave before you follow up on it. I'll, like I said, I'll hang out. I'd love to talk with you afterwards. So let me give you a few moments and this will be between you and the Lord and then the band will come up and they'll play and then we'll eat and drink together. Would you spend a moment with the Lord?